This podcast is brought to you by the Toronto School of Management's NCA Exam Prep Program. The TSM NCA Prep Program offers internationally trained lawyers courses taught by practicing lawyers in Canada, expertly designed study guides, exclusive networking opportunities with top Canadian law firms, and employability sessions arming you with all the tools you need in order to hit the ground running in your pursuit to practicing law in Canada. To find out more about the program, you can email ncaprep at torontosom.ca. Welcome to A Shot of Life, a podcast aimed at highlighting the personal journeys of professionals and entrepreneurs in Canada, taking a snapshot of the person behind the professional title. I'm your host, Anton Haswell, and this is episode 10 of our National Committee on Accreditation Journey series. Our 10th guest is Nasira El Hadri. Nasira was born in Morocco and moved to Spain at the age of six. She went to university without having a clear idea of what she wanted to become. She enrolled in the degree of labor relations, but then discovered her passion for law and transferred to law school after completing her second year. While in law school, Nasira was elected as representative of law students in her university and got involved in politics by becoming the president of the youth wing of a political party representing her hometown. After law school, Nasira left a promising career in Spain and moved to France to complete her master's in business law, and then followed her heart to Canada, where she is now in the process of becoming a licensed lawyer. In Canada, Nasira started working at CAT Financial, doing secured and unsecured debt recovery through legal proceedings, working with lawyers across Canada. At the same time, she applied for her NCA assessment, and was required to go back to university and complete eight courses due to her civil law degree. While working full-time, she took the LLM in Canadian Common Law at Osgoode Hall Law School. She received her NCA Certificate of Qualification in September 2019 and has passed both Barrister and Solicitor Licensing exams in November of 2019. Hi, Nasira. Hi, Anton. Hi. Yeah, thanks for agreeing to be on the podcast today. Oh, thank you for having me today, for giving me the opportunity to share my story with others. And hopefully that will uh, be able to uh, help others in the same situation. Yeah, exactly. And I'm excited uh, about this one because we've got um, Nasira, who's who's originally from a civil law jurisdiction. And I know we've had some feedback expressing a need or a want to hear from somebody from a civil law jurisdiction. So learning about your experience and and the journey that you took in order to get to Canada and, and work towards accreditation and your future plans would be really interesting. But as always, starting from the beginning is the best way. So I'm interested in what made you choose law, you know, learning a little bit more about yourself. Um, where did you study? Um, were there any challenges that you experienced? And of course, where are you from? Well, um, it's a very hard uh, question to answer when everybody asks me, where are you from? Mm. Uh, just because I was born in Morocco and when I was six years old, uh, we moved to Spain. 
and uh, and then from Spain I went to France uh, for a little while and now I'm in Canada so I studied law in Spain and the main reason I choose uh, law is uh, that I'm uh, mainly passionate about it and uh, feel good about resolving issues and helping people but I didn't know I wanted to do law or become a lawyer until I got to university um, I didn't know what I wanted to do but I, I had clear that I wanted to go to university to have a better career uh, so when I went to university the what I chose to do uh, was the degree in labor relations uh, I wanted to become an HR mm -hmm. uh, but then when I started Going through it, my first year, I was just fascinated by the labor law courses instead of the uh, uh, psychology courses. Ah. So I, I just found out myself in there and saying, hey, I'm really not interested into the psychology or anything that has to do with uh, HR. I'm interested into the law. So it took me the first year I tasted and started thinking that law is what, what I wanted to do. And then I did not make the decision until I finished my second year. In my second year, it was just clear. It was crystal clear to me that I wanted to do law, and I made the decision at that moment to just uh, uh, do law instead. And uh, from there on, uh, so many doors opened for me. So um, I think when I got there, I just fit into everything that came along. Uh, I became a student's representative, uh, meeting with law professors, the dean and other law students representing uh, students across Spain to discuss matters that would involve, but that would improve the experience of law students um, while preparing to become the next generation of lawyers. Uh, I got involved in politics. I was the president of the youth uh, wing of a political party representing my hometown. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was a speaker in a nonprofit organization motivating teenagers coming from uh, uh, immigrant backgrounds to, to not give up on their dreams, uh, to pursue their uh, education, to go to university. And at the same time, while doing all this, going to law school and doing everything, I was also a storyteller. Oh. I was in, I was invited to schools and libraries uh, to tell to tell the stories from a compilation of uh, uh, traditional tales that was a result of a high school uh, research research project that uh, was published. Uh, so yeah, I was basically promoting my book at the same time. So it was busier than ever, but I, I enjoyed I enjoyed it so much actually, like more than my two years doing only one thing: the degree right. in labor relations. Right. And when I finished law school in Spain, I moved to France to complete a, a master's in business law. Uh, and the next year, I, I moved to Canada. Wow. So, yeah, that's, that's quite the, I like, like, interesting that you go into university thinking one thing, and then you come out of it an entirely different person with an entirely different exactly. career. I mean, I, that sort of was like me. Like, I was at the University of Toronto and taking psychology first and then I specialized in history history of religions and then people were like well wow. I mean, what are your goals like teacher, <laughs> teacher priest <laughs> and I was like no 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 none of that I, I don't know actually I didn't really give it much thought so then I figured okay it's time to buckle down and understand what am I good at what do I find interesting it sounds like you did that earlier than I did but you did it in kind of the same way in that when you're taking courses and the law 
courses are piquing your interest mm-hmm. more than the course is geared towards your future profession, quote unquote, yeah. then it's time to make that decision, right? Yeah, about like knowing what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Now that you said this, I, I remember uh, while we were in school, uh, like our teacher, well, I mean, maybe we were 10. Uh, the teacher would ask us, okay, tell us, you have to make a presentation about what do you want to become in the future. And there was a girl in my class who made a presentation very, very moving, uh, saying that she wanted to become a lawyer and that was her dream and everything. And I just looked at her and I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm so like jealous of you knowing yeah. exactly what you want to be at 10 years old. Yeah. And the thing is, this girl did not become a lawyer and I didn't want to. I am in the process of becoming one. There you go. That's that's it is. It's sort of like it's a bit of a gift um, to be able to know what you want and what your purpose is at a young age. Um, it's a bit stressful for people like you and me and pretty much everybody to yeah. be trying to find that out when you're in university. I mean, you kind of pick a career, right? Like you. Um, it's it's difficult to map out your future at a young age so it's good that you managed to find that um while you were doing that and so i'm interested um you went to france to complete a master's after your law degree in spain um i am going to be completely honest and say that i'm rather ignorant to the civil law system and jurisdiction Obviously, in Canada, we have a common law jurisdiction. I went to law school in the UK, common law jurisdiction. All of my guests prior to you, Nasira, came from a common law jurisdiction. So I know there are people listening who have law degrees from a civil law jurisdiction, but there are a lot also who have law degrees from common law. So if you could get into a little bit about what the major differences are between the two, that would kind of help. But then also how does that translate into your NCA journey? I mean, those are loaded questions, I understand. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, if you could, like, if you had to, let's say, okay, we're having a conversation, if you have to pick one or two major differences between common law and civil law, what would they be? Well, I mean, it's it's a different way of doing law. So you have the, re- the regulation, you have uh, rules and everything, but the way how you come up with your argument and you uh, execute the law is different. So mm-hmm. the cases, for example, when um, when I would uh, put together a claim in Spain, uh, you would leave the precedent, like the last thing that the judge was, is going to look at. Uh, but right. it, as opposed to here, precedent is the most important thing. And I think for me, it took me a while uh, to say, hey, don't look into just the code. You have to look into precedent all the mm-hmm. time. You know, the code for me, for us, the code is everything. The civil code is is your book. The rule is the rule. Um, but in here, I had to get used to, to uh, making that change, uh, especially that that was the, the biggest change. Uh, at the end of the day, you are still thinking as a lawyer. That's the most important part. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just you have to get used to, to the way of uh, reasoning. Uh, one trick, my own trick, is uh, since I had to move from Spain to go to France, so it's another, it's a different substantive law. Um, and then coming to Canada, it's substantive and also it's a different system. Uh, what I did when I went, moved to, to France and I went, when I moved to Canada is to just say, just imagine you have no idea about law. Like, don't think that you know something. Just go in 
and learn because in both cases I, I went to university to learn the law. So I would go in there and not argue much about what the professor was saying is to understand it and say, okay, so this is what it is now. So forget what you knew before. This is what it is now. It's hard. But I think the minute that I put my mind into it, uh, things went better. Interesting. Yeah. So you sort of trust your abilities as a student of law and your intellect to adapt to the differences because you're right. Going from Spain to France is in and of itself a challenge. And then going from Spain slash France to Canada is an even bigger challenge. Um, And so the way that you cope with that, it sounds like, is relying on your ability as a student of law, as somebody who's genuinely interested in learning. And then you, you use your skills to take on, you know, what you learn and, and apply them in a different jurisdiction. That would be, I could imagine quite challenging. Um, so when you're in France, Nasira, mm-hmm. and you finish your LLM, do you practice law in France? Did you practice at all? So, so you can become a solicitor in Spain and France once you finish law school, mm. right? So you, you only pick the bar if you are going to be a barrister, you're going to be a litigator, right. then yes, you need to go take the bar. So in my case, when I finished uh, law school, I knew I was going to move to Canada. So I had okay. the choice of going through the licensing process to become a lawyer in Spain or go to France, do a master's. So what I, th- I thought it was like, okay, so if I go and I become a lawyer in Spain and I move to Canada, is that going to make any difference? Reality is no, it's not going to make a difference. So I will be, uh, you know, licensed in Spain, but nothing else. So then I said, if I go to France and I get another degree, uh, a master's, maybe that master's, I will be learning some other um, uh, areas of law that I could maybe apply when I'm in Canada. And that's what I did. That was like a strategic decision as to you want to become licensed or you want an additional degree. And to be honest with you, none of those were important when I applied for the NCA. Because when you come from a civil law jurisdiction, really doesn't matter if you were a lawyer in your in your home country or if you have a master's they look into your law degree mm-hmm. they look into the like the your grades in the law degree so if i uh, they asked me for eight courses to complete right. so if i decided to take a sabbatical year that year instead of going and doing the masters i would have been asked the same eight courses yeah. So doing the masters didn't make a difference. Right. Other than I guess add to your own experience and you know. exactly that's where where, where in where in France was it? Was it Paris or no? It was south of France, oh, like in the nice. border. So I was yeah. very close to Spain. Uh, nice. Close to see my family. Of course. And yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So so interesting. Um, so when you're prescribed ten courses from the NCA, I know like I actually did. Um, a bit of a test run. The NCA website now has a self-assessment navigational tool where you can say, um, do you have a law degree? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then it asks you, what country did you get your law degree in? Um, and I, so I, I did Brazil, for instance, which is another civil law jurisdiction. Um, and it said, um, whether or not you're eligible for assessment will deter- will depend on your own personal circumstance. Like, do you have, yeah, do you have any particular experience in practicing common law? Do you, have you taken any? So at that point, when you've decided you want to come to Canada and the NCA gives you your assessment, 
what do they tell you? Well, in my case, um, they just send you back a letter saying that at this point we cannot give you any accreditation for your uh, for your education just because you have had no exposure in common law. So it doesn't matter if you have two law degrees and you have two master's degrees, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You don't have exposure in, in, in common law. Uh, so they basically t give you the option. So in my case, and in case of all the civil uh, law uh, jurisdiction students, uh, so they don't give you the option to challenge the NCA exam. Uh, they tell you, no, that's not an option. They tell you you have to go back to law school. And then when you complete, I, I'm, I'm not sure if it was four, I think, four, four. Uh, courses. You're right. Four yeah. courses. That's then right. you, can, uh, you can apply for uh, a reassessment. And then they can tell you exactly how many courses you would need. But they start with like, you would need, usually we ask for eight. At that, uh, at that time, it was eight courses. Uh -huh. um, and, and that's what they, uh, they gave me, and I was able then to enroll for, uh, for, for the LLM uh, in Osgood. Okay. Uh, so the LLM was great because the LLM in, in Canadian Common Law, uh, it gives you all the, you can complete the master's and get a diploma, complete all the eight courses together that the NCA required and you know I didn't have to deal much with the NCA other than when I finished I applied for a reassessment and then I received my certificate of qualifications. Great uh, yeah and actually as as you were talking so obviously going to Osgood reveals that you're in Toronto um, did you give yes. I wonder what do civil law grads particularly those who have French LLMs did you give any um, thought to practicing law in Quebec? Well, actually, I did think about it because uh, because I thought maybe because I did this master's in France, I should be able to have maybe uh, better chances in doing it in in Quebec. But then the process is the same. You still have to go through the NCA uh. to practice <laughs> in Quebec. So yeah. then it was like, there is no point. I want to practice in Ontario. Yeah. So, yeah. That damn NCA. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, interesting. Really, really interesting route. I mean... That's it's much different from common law uh, LLB graduates because they anticipate as long as you do reasonably well on your LLB degrees, um, and even if if you've got an LLB degree and you've done some practice, there are people who have the minimum amount of exams to do, which is five, and mm -hmm. then they get abridgment for articling, so they just yes. they really fast track, and so you undertaking the LLM, I actually haven't. I had my first guest, we didn't really get into it because she was taking it. She took an LLM in international business at Osgood. Um, but can you speak to your experience a little bit, let's say a couple of minutes about what it was like taking the, the common law LLM at Osgood? So in my experience, it, it was great. Uh, to be honest with you, it was the best thing that happened to me because at the beginning when I heard from the NCA and they told me, yeah, yeah, you cannot challenge the NCA exams. You have to go back to university. That was the end of the world for me yeah. because I thought I would have to go do the three years. It's a lot of money. I would have to quit my job. And I was like, Ooh, this is not going to work. And when I started looking into the options and I found out about the LLM, I was like, okay, so you can do it part-time. So I did it part-time and I kept my job while I was also gaining experience. So that's great. At the end, I got a diploma. I completed the eight courses, and I didn't have to deal with any other body other than like the university. And uh, I had access to to the law library, 
quick law, Westlaw, uh, the assistance of professors that I could ask anything, uh, they could give me feedback and uh, networking opportunities. You know, the whole experience, I'm really satisfied uh, because while I didn't go to law school in Canada, I, I feel I had a similar experience. Basically, it's law school in a kind of accelerated mode, you know, like right. all the courses. I, I was supposed to do it in two years my uh, as a part-time, so it's full-time one year, part-time two years, but I overloaded and, and did it in one year and a half. Uh -huh. And you still, yeah, it's still, it is still manageable. And it, it, I think I'm like at this point, I'm like grateful that I did not, was, I was not given the option of challenging the NCA exams. Right. And what, what do you think of, like, do you think that you benefited ultimately? And like, it's weird how life works, right? Like sometimes you think, like you said, you, you get that response from the NCA and it's the end of the world. But then you're like, well, wait a second. I get a law school experience in Canada. I don't, I, you know, you get your certificate of qualification at the end of it. And you get the benefit of, you know, let's say a legal careers department and networking opportunities. So maybe in the end, that was the best for you. Like, wh how do you feel about that? Like, Absolutely. You, yeah, because I think the NCA exams can be quite intimidating. Like I've spoken to people, you know, and, and now they're all done online. So there's people in their homes in, in, let's say, you know, Nigeria, Pakistan, India, who are stuck with doing these these individual exams and they can be quite daunting because you know you don't want to fail the exam but if you're in a in a institutional setting I feel like that might be a little bit more comforting to somebody who's coming from law school right like yeah. it's just another experience right yeah it's the best route for sure uh, even if like it takes a whole year you get a, a better experience but of course it's very very expensive yeah. <laughs> you know that's yeah. the, that's the negative side of it. Uh, you, in my case, because I was working full time, and I was yeah. able to manage with doing it part time. That that was huge in my case. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's what I hear from everybody. And I, I spoke with Olufakemi in my last episode, and she's from Nigeria, and she heard about the Osgood LLM. And she's like, I would if I could, you know, but I can't because she had a family and, you know, there was other other priorities. So everybody takes a different route. But it sounds like the LLM for you, being able to do a part time and continue working was a great, was a great path. And I think, maybe especially for civil law grads, it might be better to get in, you know, the Canadian legal system and the common law legal system that way. So although it might be daunting, when you, once you realize that the NCA is basically telling you, take this LLM or take this approved program and you'll get your certificate of qualification, it's a little bit less daunting. Mm -hmm. But what could happen, what would be nice is if we could lobby these universities to say, maybe let's not make it $25,000 a year. <laughs> it's just even more. If you are yeah, an like international 30, student, yeah, no, 35 yeah. and up, you, you know, that's the, that's the problem. Uh, if you want to yeah. pursue, pursue your dream in Canada, you have to pay for it. I come uh, from a country, I, I come from Spain, where I paid maybe, let's say, each year, so it's four years of law school. Mm -hmm. Each year, it was not even two thousand euros maximum. Wow. That's maximum wow. each year, right? And then in France, it was even less than that. I can remember, but it was way less than that. Interesting. So when I came to Canada, I was like, "Oh, you have to commit. Like you're buying, yeah. you're buying a car, basically." 
<laughs> sure. Yeah. You have to sign your life away and say, are you sure you want to come here? If you're sure, then yeah, you can spend the money. If not, then yeah, no, yeah. it's, it's difficult, but, but I'm happy to hear that you got through it and it sounds like it really benefited you. So where are you at now in the process? So um, right now, so when I finished, um, when I completed the, the LLM, I very quickly went and registered to the next sitting of, uh, of the bar exams. That was November 2019. So I took the solicitor and barristers in November and passed. And now I'm waiting on uh, to start my articling, which is going to start next month, very in three weeks, basically. And yeah, something that, that I want to mention is yeah. that... So in my case, maybe I could have applied for an abridgment for my articling, but I chose not to. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason why is because I'm already coming from a different, uh, you know, curriculum. You studied law outside of Canada. You don't have the connections that law students, Canadian law students have. You right. didn't go through the, 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 the same process. So you're already in a disadvantage. I think articling it, it is meant to maybe uh put you out there you know it's your mm -hmm. opportunity to prove yourself so uh in, in in my opinion asking for an abridgment when um when you still need it basically you still need it to to uh make connections uh find out what you like uh yeah. you know what you are good at uh so that's one thing and then the other one is that i could have finished the whole process way before so i think i started in 2018 i think uh in january i could have finished maybe in 2019 the whole process by the summer uh, but i didn't do that just because i'm i'm working in heavy equipment finance so i work in secured and unsecured debt recovery and i think that's a great experience that i'm getting at the same time that i'm going through the licensing process so the, my strategy as well, this is all about strategy, is when you finish, when you uh, are called to the bar exam, you have experience on your hand. You are not in debt because you have, you have paid your LLM yeah. and, you know, you are more prepared uh, to be in the market because the Canadian market is very, very competitive. Yeah. You're going to find so many other people just like you, more prepared and willing to give it all. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's right. I, I think that's important for everybody to understand that I think what happens with internationally trained lawyers is they get caught up in the stress and anxiety and this rush to get through accreditation. Yeah. And so they get their CQ and then and then the next challenge is the bar. And once you finish the bar, you feel like you can take a breath and say, okay, now I'm a lawyer. But really, ultimately, yeah, that's, that's kind of when, yeah, that's when like, that's the, a problem. exactly. It's sort of like you're, you're welcomed to the party. And now at this party, you have to compete with so many, like thousands of people for let's say hundreds of jobs. And so it is, it is a challenge and it does take um, somebody who's driven. But ultimately what I've learned in speaking to people is that um, if you're driven and you really wanna make it work, there's a way. Like, you know, my business partner, what came from India um, and he has a young family he came from India with a law degree. He was Ubering, and then ultimately he he got an articling position that's unpaid. 
Um, and, and that does happen, you know, because mm-hmm. principals, yeah. they don't have the money. And if you're not a, a rainmaker, if you're not making money for the firm, they can't justify paying you. And so he's, he's really, you know, he's, he, like you said, you're describing people who will literally give themselves to <laughs> get, get to the bar, get called to the bar and be licensed as a lawyer. And, and so it is competitive, but at the same time, it's competitive for a reason. I mean, um, it's, it's a privileged job. It's something um, where you do need the cream to rise. I think you need, you know, clients, if, if somebody gets in trouble or if somebody needs the help of a solicitor, um, then obviously you want the best. So um, I think it's an imperfect system at the moment. Obviously, we talked about the cost of the LLM. There's unpaid articling. There's there's barriers to access because of, you know, sometimes there's a perceived um, um second class tier of lawyers if they're internationally trained yeah for some reason yeah i mean yeah that's a problem yeah that's a, that's a problem and i think um like we have like internationally trained lawyers or students we have to acknowledge that and then you have to make sure that you don't fall into that bucket and you don't fall into that bucket but make by making yourself different mm-hmm. differentiate yourself uh, try to find out what's like what makes you unique, basically, uh, to, to be here? Um, what can what can you bring to the table? What yep. can you do for the Canadian legal system? What contributions you, can you make, basically? You know, to put yourself out there, do a lot of uh, networking, uh, start building your brand. Because, uh, as I said, you, becoming a lawyer in Canada is not the finish line. Mm. It's not because you're gonna get there eventually. But the point is, when you get there. What is the circumstance you wanna f- you wanna be in front of? You wanna you wanna start working on it before you get there. So when you get there, you know what to do. Yeah. You know that's why I did not abridge my article. And at the same time, when I finished like when I finished my uh, when I passed the bar, it was November. I could have you know I could have uh, applied to uh, for articling in any firm, and I could have started maybe in January. Hmm. But I didn't because I wanted to go uh, through the process applying with the with the Canadian summer uh, Canadian students, the JD students. So I applied. Uh, I, so I was part of the recruitment process. Why? Because I wanted to see if I'm marketable, if I can compete against uh, uh, Juris Doctor students. Right. And this delayed it one more year. Right. Hmm. But I'm, but I, at least I'm gonna have the same experience as any uh, JD student. I'm going to do, well, right now with COVID-19, yeah. <laughs> I have to say this is another thing. So my articling, instead of 10 months, got reduced to eight months, right? Uh-huh. But okay. yeah, but still I'm, I'm going to get the, the same experience as my uh, other three uh, colleagues, which are all coming from, uh, from Canadian law schools. Right. Yeah, no, definitely. I think you hit on something too. There's, there's like this, this two tiered system perceived to be a two tiered system. And who knows in 10 years that may change with increasing um, numbers of, you know, in order for the Canadian economy to thrive and continue to thrive, I think there's this mandate by the federal government to continue to allow skilled workers from abroad to come in. um, So that will fuel more and more internationally trained lawyers. I mean, just this past year, there's a statistic out there that says there were more internationally trained lawyers called to the bar 
than there were Canadian or domestically trained lawyers. Um, wow. And, yeah, and I, I don't necessarily see that trend slowing unless it's done forcibly. Um, but what what I'm what I what's interesting is that so there's this perceived two tier system between domestic and internationally trained, but then within the internationally trained, there's also a two tiered system. There are those who understand, like you were saying, you have to create your brand, you have to hustle a bit, you have to network, you have to get out there and treat this as a journey and not a sprint to you know, the bar exams. And then there are people who focus on the bar exams and the NCA exams only. And I think part of the podcast and the reason I wanted to start it was to try to tell people from my experience and from the people I've spoken to that the NCA exams are necessary. They're sort of, you can perceive them to be a necessary evil, you know, like Mm -hmm. no matter what, you got to deal with it. Like if you're coming from Spain or France or Nigeria, India, or the UK, you got to go through the NCAs. Fine. But while you're doing that, have half an eye on what you're going to do in order to market yourself and be able to actually practice law in Canada. It's so important. And, and I think you hit on a lot of really important parts. And it's like you've, only, you've said like you basically purposely delayed yourself a year because you wanted to make sure that you were ready and that you knew exactly what you had to do. And I think that's, that's a great message. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you learned this, I think, with experience. So yeah. since I, so I already uh, finished. So in, in my position, I, I was almost going to become a lawyer when I was in Spain, right? And then it didn't happen. Right. <laughs> and then yeah. I, I went to Spain, I went to France and I did the master's and then came here. And now I'm like, I'm almost there. Like, I also understand I'm also in that position where I'm like, oh my God, when is it going to happen? Because for me, it's a huge milestone. Yes, and of course. I think I, I'm like visualizing it every single day that I want to be there. I want to get there. I want to become a lawyer. I want to be called to the bar. Uh, but at the same time, I, I like, I have to. Uh, you know, calm myself down and say, this is not a sprint. You can't be so anxious about it. You're going to get there. The most important thing is when you get there, you have to be successful. It's not only a matter of getting there because I see like so many uh, people that I went with, uh, uh, I, I did the, the LLM with uh, that they already called to the bar. I'm so happy for them. But at the same time, it's like, oh my God, I could be also a lawyer right now. But, but no, you have to calm down. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's important. Like, take a breath, understand, you know, just just like, I mean, first of all, like, immigrating to a different country is a huge thing in and of itself. Um, never mind qualifying in a, in a profession, you know, and that, that's another yeah. huge challenge. And so you have to take these things um, step by step and understand that your your journey as a lawyer does not end in a couple of years there's no rush it ends let's say you know if you're lucky let's say it ends in 35 years and so there's plenty of time yeah. for everybody to make their mark and to really get started and do what do the good work that they want to do um, and it sounds like you're well on your way. And so, Nasira, this has been an amazing conversation. Um, I know that I sent you some talking points earlier, and I always like to surprise guests a little bit. And actually, we did kind of divert from the talking points. I'm sorry about that. But <laughs> no, I'm I think, happy. I'm happy. No, with yeah, the... I think this has gone way better than the um, than the normal conversation, but that I had originally planned anyway. But I, I do. I'm interested in in you individually. And okay, so you know, 
you start in thinking maybe you're going to get into HR, um, and then you you make a a quick transition. You get involved even in politics, and and then you go to France for an LLM after your your L, your law degree in Spain, and then you come to Canada. You go through the whole NCA thing. You have to go to Osgood. Now you're ready to article in October. What yeah. a journey! So. If you told the second year Nasira in Spain that this is where you'd be after all these years, do you think you would take it? Would you do it again, or would would you uh, would you make any changes? I'm interested in that. Well, the thing is, I I really never ever thought I would be moving to Canada, uh-huh. and it just happened because I fell in love. I and I could not convince my now husband to move to Spain. <laughs> he told me that Canada is a great country full of opportunities, that, I, that if I worked hard, they could achieve uh, more than I could ever imagine. So I just did it. I moved to Canada knowing that I would have to start from scratch, prove myself one more time, and work hard to make my dreams uh, come true. And, and to be honest, the first months, they were not easy at all. Mm. So I left behind my uh, whole family and uh, a career that was looking promising. Uh, And when I came here, I started to apply for jobs and the only job I could get was in retail as a sales associate. Right. So I was spending my my days folding clothes while asking myself, what am I doing here? Yeah. What have I done? (laughs) What am I doing? (laughs) Yeah. I, I knew I had to start from scratch, right? But I didn't realize how hard was it going to be until I was there living it. Mm-hmm. So, so I knew I had to start uh, somewhere. Uh, most importantly, I had to improve my English. So, being like working with people, that was great. And mm-hmm. at the same time, I knew it was temporary, so I just had to go through it. Mm-hmm. But I kept applying for other jobs, uh, but then also got so many rejections. Uh, majority of them is because I was overqualified. So then you're like, yeah. okay, don't understand. But yeah. finally, about like four months later. I interviewed with who today I consider my mentor. Um, after many rejections, I started to doubt myself. So I no longer saw my situation as temporary. I started thinking, uh, what if this is my new life? You know, you're never going to become a lawyer. This is what you're going to be going forward. Mm-hmm. After all the hard work, my parents sacrificed. But then Jeff, my mentor, uh, saw me and said that he was looking for me. Uh, bilingual and with a strong legal background so he believed in me when I did not even believe in myself and that will always mean a lot to me Um, this job actually gave me the opportunity of working with lawyers across Canada and our in-house counsels in the U.S. so I got mentored by many of them and little by little I started gaining the the confidence of retaking my original plans of becoming a lawyer Uh, so yes when I came here like it was not right at the beginning that I was like, oh, yeah, let's, ju- let's do the NCA. No, it took me two years right. to then say, okay, now I think I'm ready. I should be doing it. Because at the same time, I was not confident enough with my English and also accent. That's a huge thing. Yeah. So even I moved from Morocco to Spain when I was six years old, I was able to learn Spanish and Catalan since the beginning. So I was learning two languages at the same time while I was speaking Arabic at home. And because I was so young, I learned Spanish and Catalan perfectly. So I, I don't have an, ac- an accent. And in Spain, if you have an accent, that means you are not educated. Mm-hmm. That means uh, you're not worth it, basically. Uh, so 
when I came here, I started thinking that about myself, saying, wow, so I have an accent. I can't get rid of it. And people, they're going to think you are not good enough. People are going to think that you, your education is not enough. So I think that was a huge like discussion just with myself to say, this is a big deal for me. I have to speak perfectly. But then just one day, you know, listening other people, listening like other people with other backgrounds, having great careers and say, hey, you're going to, you just have to accept it. You can have an accent for the rest of your life and you have to deal with it. And this is who you are and you have to move forward with it. And I think little by little, just because I was at work doing the job, uh, so it, nobody would say, oh, you have an accent or anything. Like mm. people, they focus on the work that you're yep. doing. They don't stop you. Oh, how funny is your accent? Oh, you don't know how no. to pronounce this. You know, <laughs> nobody says that. So I, that gave me the, the confidence that I needed to go forward with the process to say, Hey, you know what? Now, yes, let's do the NCA process. I want to become a lawyer and I think I can do this. Yeah. Wow. That's great. That's And I'm sure that's really inspiring to hear for, for those people who are in jurisdictions other than a common law jurisdiction who you know either coming from latin america or spain or france who who may have the same fears you know like even something is now you can look back and say the accent ultimately doesn't matter but it it is legitimate you know you're coming from a different country a different an entirely different legal jurisdiction and so it's all different you feel like an alien almost when you come to Canada, I can only imagine. And, um, but reality sets in, right? And really what rises to the top is your work and your work ethic and who you are as a person. And, you know, Canada um, is, is a hugely um, diverse country with a lot of different people. And so, like you said, you know, there's a lot of people who are looking for diverse backgrounds and who they're hiring. So it should never dissuade somebody, somebody's accent, somebody's history, a personal experience is that shouldn't dissuade you. It should just sort of, you know, you should be inspired to, to just want to be a really great professional and people will see that hopefully. So yeah. Thank you, Nastira. Yeah. And what, what an amazing conversation. I, I think it's, <laughs> it's definitely going to help a lot of people um, who have a similar past to the NCA and practices you do. And um, again, yeah, thank you so much for taking part. Thank you. I just want to, uh, let me just say something to whoever is listening and is sure. thinking uh, to move to Canada. Sure. Uh, just, uh, I would like to say that, yes, the process is expensive. It's, uh, it's a long one. The market is very competitive, but if this is your dream and have the right amount of motivation, just do it, go for it. Nothing mm. comes easy and we don't know what we are capable of until we try to do it. Uh, I had two moments of my life that I can remember right now that uh, I said to myself, what if I fail? So the first one is when I decided to do law. So when I moved from doing the HR to, to law, I told myself, so what? At least you will know it's not for you. So you can always go back to your original degree and become something else, you know? Mm-hmm you'll find out. And the second time is when I decided to move to Canada. So the same thing I said, so what? You go, you don't like it, you come back. (laughs) No problem. (laughs) You know, you still have, you already have a degree here, you can continue. But if you let it go, you're always going to live with the what if, what if. 
and you know yeah the market is competitive but as i said before you have to differentiate yourself uh, from others uh, work on your brand uh, if you don't have a linkedin page uh, work on it have one start getting in touch with other lawyers with other students and uh, you know what i find uh, in here uh, like within the students is that people is willing to help you give you advice um, so I also put myself out there uh, I actually reached out to Anton because I thought he had a question in regards to the process uh, and yeah. I had no idea he wanted to interview someone <laughs> from the civil law jurisdiction but so that's why I'm always reachable on LinkedIn you can always you know if you have any questions or you need any advice that I could help you with to succeed in your career uh, you can always do so. Yeah, and I think that that's actually it's it's really useful for you to have said like, everything you just said. But at the end of there, like I posted a question on a on a Facebook group called NCA Students, and I absolutely recommend everybody to join that group because first and foremost, it's refreshing that it's not run by somebody with an alternative agenda, not like a personal tutor, not somebody in the space looking to make money. It's run by somebody who's from Bangladesh, who I'm excited to say will be interviewed um, later in this podcast series. But it's for people who genuinely want to help each other, right? You, you can sell books and stuff like that, obviously. But I was posting a question, um, <laughs> obviously, on I didn't mean for it to be so vague, but I guess it was because Nasthira responded saying, yeah, I'll help this guy. Um, and, and then I surprised her with like, oh, actually, by the way, can I interview for this podcast? So, I mean, it all works out, but it's just a really good example. Like there are, there are, Nasira is obviously somebody who's been through the process and and more than willing to help and she was more than willing to help me um, even though I didn't necessarily need it but I know there are others who do Nasira so how can they reach you I know whatever means of social media are important or ways to get in touch I'm going to feature them on the description of the podcast episode but um, is it Facebook is it LinkedIn how would you recommend people get in touch with you so I'm working 100% now on my LinkedIn, just because I'm also working on my personal brand. Yeah. And I think that we all should be meeting there. And so you can also start working on your personal brand going forward. Mm -hmm. This is one of those goals that when you become a lawyer, how do you want to be perceived? So yes, you start working on your LinkedIn. Amazing. So that's what we'll do. We'll link Nasthira's LinkedIn to the podcast episode and I invite you to connect. If you have questions, send a message. I know pers from personal experience, she's more than willing to respond. Um, so yeah, thanks again, Nasira, for, for all of the information and the great conversation. Well, thank you very much, Anton. I really enjoyed it. It has been a pleasure. And, you know, sharing my story. And I just hope that this helps, uh, you know, the people that they are listening and they can benefit from it. Thank you very much. And that does it for episode 10 of A Shot of Life Canada. I'd like to thank Nasira for taking some time out of her day to speak with me and to shed some light on quite an interesting and unique path to law in Canada. I feel very lucky to have been able to speak and learn from her, and I hope listeners in civil law jurisdictions feel the same way. Um, it's, it's such a different process, you know, speaking with lawyers from Nigeria, from India, from Pakistan. Um, they all had common law LLB degrees. 
um, Nasira, unfortunately for her in her journey to Canada, had to go back to law school in order to um, meet the assessment requirements given to her by the NCA. She did that um, even while probably thinking to herself, why should I need to do that? She did it anyway because she had a goal. Um, and I hope those who are in a similar position as she was are inspired and know that um, it, it is possible. And again, as she had invited you to do in the interview, I'm inviting you to do now. Reach out to her if you have questions. Um, she's, she's really amenable to that. And I hope everybody learned a little bit here. And uh, you continue to learn by reaching out to Nasira uh, or myself. You can reach me at... Um, the Facebook page, my my personal Facebook page, or anton.haswell at torontosom.ca. Until next time, we'll talk again. Mm-hmm.